0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, The Power of the Gospel, with a message called Life in the Spirit. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter eight, verses five to 11, as we join Dr. Neufeld now.
1: One of the things that I love to do is to ride my motorcycle. I know, I know, it's dangerous. But there's something about what motorcycle enthusiasts call the twisties. Roads through mountains and canyons that have numerous turns are, quite frankly, exhilarating. If you've never done it, it's very difficult to explain the sensation. Every sense is alive, full attention is required, but the awareness of not just driving on a road, but almost being a part of the road, in the road, cooperating with the road, and feeling its motion, well, that's why I ride. I feel in those moments a heightened sense of attentiveness and alertness that is electrifying. One of the things that motorcyclists are taught is that when entering a curve, you must not look at the road directly ahead of you. They must discipline themselves to look towards the end of the curve. And as their eyes focus on the goal, the place where the curve straightens out again, they find that their motorcycle amazingly follows their eyes. Wherever they look is exactly where they're going to go. Every once in a while, I'll follow someone on a motorcycle and see how badly he handles the corners, and I instinctively know that a lot of his problems are in his eyes. He's not trained himself to look in the right place. And even though I can't see where his eyes are looking, I know he's not looking in the right place. Everything else that's happening, the multiple corrections he makes as he rounds the corner, the number of times he hits the brakes, the tentativeness, the lack of certainty, tells me where his eyes are focused. I observe his body and the way his bike is behaving, and I know exactly what his eyes are doing. See, the same is true for our spiritual lives. I can't see a man or woman's thought life, but I can see the direction or the trajectory of a human life. When I see a man or woman never making progress in his or her faith, continually stumbling over unmanageable sins, constantly displeasing God, never finding inner peace, finding that temptations are always overwhelming to him or her, I can tell you what is his or her mindset. It's not hard to see the secret place of the thought life because the thoughts that only God sees are being acted out on the stage of life. Let's have Paul explain it in a very important passage about our own spiritual trajectory. I'm reading Romans 8, 5 to 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws, indeed it cannot. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, the passage we've just read can easily be divided into three sections. First section, verses 5 to 8. It tells us of two categories of people. Those verses do not describe the difference between the carnal believer and the more advanced spiritual believer, but the difference between a believer and a non-believer. The mindset of the believer is on the things of the spirit, and the mindset of the non-believer is on the things of the flesh. That's basic to the difference in the psychology between those who are in Christ and those who are hostile to Christ. The second section is verse 9. This one verse functions as the central verse in this paragraph. It's categorical, stated without any conditions. If you have the Spirit, you belong to Christ. If you do not have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. No middle ground. Then the third section, which covers verses 10 to 11. These two verses contain a promise. The promise is life. To those who have the Spirit, God promises that death will not have the last word in you. For our purposes, I'm going to discuss verse 9 first, that central theme of our paragraph, and then building on that theme, I'll go back to explain the mindset of the believer and the promise to the believer. So let's begin with verse 9. This is what Paul wants all believers to understand. Here it is. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I'm going to start by simply observing that in this one verse, the Holy Spirit is once called the Spirit of God, and then later the Spirit of Christ. Those of us who have not yet been taught it should notice that in the New Testament, when the word God is used, it almost always refers to God the Father. And so the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of God the Father and the Spirit of God the Son. So why is this? Well, before we answer that, we will notice that in Romans eight fourteen, we will see that again, Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God. And he will do so again in Romans 15, verse 19. The phrase Spirit of Christ appears only here in Romans, but we do notice that Peter uses that phrase in 1 Peter 1, 11, but we also notice that in both the book of Acts and in Philippians, the Holy Spirit is there referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit is mentioned, the phrase of God or of Christ is used to indicate the kind of work that the Holy Spirit does. See, that fits well with what Jesus taught us in John 16 verses 14 to 15, where he taught that the Holy Spirit would, Jesus said, take what is mine and declare it to you. The sense behind that is that one of the unique roles that the Holy Spirit plays within the Trinity is that he shines the spotlight onto both the Father and the Son. He brings to believers an awareness of the Father and the Son. He's constantly lifting the curtain and saying, as it were, to every believer whom he indwells, did you notice the Father or did you notice the Son? The Holy Spirit then fills our affections or our desires, our longings, with both an ardent love for the Father and the Son. It's one of his unique roles, and he plays this role in the life of every single believer. Now, says Paul, the mark of every believer is that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell or to live or to take up residence in our lives. If you believe in Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit has caused you to believe in Christ. He's caused you to know Christ and to love Christ. That's also true of your knowledge of the Father. I would add to that, because the Holy Spirit has inspired the Scripture, you as a believer have an interest in the Scripture. He has has given you that love. Now, please don't miss the point. You don't receive the Holy Spirit several years after you become a Christian. Romans 8, 9 makes it clear that if the Holy Spirit is not living in you, you're not a believer. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says that God the Father has placed the Holy Spirit into the hearts of all believers as a seal. You know, in the ancient world, a seal served as a mark of ownership. When God owns you, His seal is on your life, and that seal is the Holy Spirit residing in you. Ephesians 1:14 makes it clear that the Holy Spirit's indwelling in the life of every believer also serves as God the Father's guarantee of the promises he has made to us in the future. Now the reason I say this is that it is important for us to read Romans 8 as not the description of the spirit-filled believer versus the carnal believer. Romans 8 is the promise to every child of God. If you have come to believe, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're not a child of God. That's why verse 9 is key. Fail to understand this basic premise, and you're going to fail to see what God is communicating. Now we're ready for verses 5 to 8. This is the section that tells us that the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer results in a kind of mindset. Let me go back to my opening illustration. Remember that I said that I can tell where a fellow motorcyclist has his or her eyes in going around a corner, even if I can't see their eyes. See, the same is true of the thought life of an individual. Of course, no one can see the invisible Holy Spirit in a human life, nor can we catch a glimmer of the inner secret thought life of any human being. I can't tell what anyone is thinking, nor can you. But we can see how a person lives. We can see a mindset of the flesh and a mindset of the Spirit. We can see an inability to please God or the ability to please God. And when we come back, we're going to see that the presence of the Holy Spirit in a human life determines what a person thinks and therefore determines the trajectory of a life on the way to heaven or hell.
0: It's true. Our life and what we do with it is an indication of our mindset. In this passage, Paul now turns our attention to the stark contrast between the life of the believer and unbeliever. It's a difference between living in the Spirit or living in the flesh. We must understand that this reality ultimately determines our eternal destiny. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld will paint a picture of the hope that every believer can have through a Spirit-filled mindset. The Bible makes it clear there is not a single passing moment where God is not present, active, sustaining. Colossians 1:17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How comforting to know that God is always present. That is the theme of Back to the Bible Canada's upcoming calendar. Our 2024 In All Things Scripture Reading Calendar pivots around Dr. John Newfeld's upcoming book arriving in the new year with stunning imagery, sneak peek quotes from Dr. John's book and inspiring scripture, it reminds us that God is never far. We encourage you to request your free 2024 scripture wall calendar and follow along with a daily Bible reading plan inside. To request yours today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: When we come to Christ, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This creates in us a very different mindset than the one we had before. Notice three aspects of the mindset of every single believer. First, every single believer, according to verse 5, has set his or her mindset on the things of the Spirit. Since we've already learned that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to highlight both the work of the Father and of the Son, we have to assume, therefore, that the Holy Spirit is giving every believer a way of thinking which would no doubt result in what we talk about and what we plan for and what we deeply love and what we deeply hate. Secondly, according to verse 6, the differences of those mindsets results in either death or life in peace. The death spoken of in verse 6 must refer to eternal death or an eternity in hell. And the life spoken of must therefore refer to eternal life. Now, I say this because if we allow ourselves to look ahead all the way to verse 11, the giving of life to our mortal bodies refers to eternal life. And since that's the case, it must be that the earlier verses are in line with that. So again, as we can see, the consequences are heaven and hell, not a fuller or a less abundant life. Third, notice, according to verses 7 and 8, that arising out of both mindsets is a different reaction to God himself. The reaction is either one of hostility or one of pleasing God. Again, the language of hostility to God is not the language of a believer. Rather, it is the language that Paul employs in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3, to three, where Paul describes the spiritual condition of the unregenerate as being dead in trespasses and sins, Following the world, and the prince of the power of the air, living, as he says, in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the unregenerate mind, and being a child of wrath. We should read Romans 8, verses 5 to 8, not as a description of the same situation we found in Romans 7 where Paul describes the struggle between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the mind and heart, a a struggle all Christians experience in this life until Christ comes again. Rather, Romans 8, 5 to 8 describes an antithesis. Either one is in the spirit or one is in the flesh, and you can't be a little of both at the same time. You're either under the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit or the sovereignty of the flesh. See, there's a vast difference between Romans 8, 5 to 8, and Romans 7. Romans 7 describes the believer who's struggling with temptation but has a mindset on the things of God, and Romans 8 shows us the person whose mindset is in one of either two directions. Look at it this way. Romans 7 describes a person who delights in God, who finds the Bible a welcome place in his or her life, and feeds on it regularly. Romans 7 describes a person who loves Christ beyond all other things and hates sin above all other things, and yet to their horror find themselves sinning in a way that makes them cry out to God for mercy. Romans 8, on the other hand, describes a person who does not delight in God as his or her highest joy or does not find the word to be the solace of their lives, who does not know what it means when the psalmist says in Psalm 42 verse 1, As the deer pants after streams of water, so my soul pants after you, O God. Indeed, thoughts of God as his or her highest joy are not there. And they may find themselves sinning and even feeling bad and horrible about it, but that horror comes from a God-given conscience that's troubling them rather than a heart or a soul that is set to love God as his or her highest joy. And by the way, if I can add to that this thought, There are people who hang around Christians and see in those people a heart's cry for God, and they love what they see, and they just like being around them, but they've never known the inner reality of the Holy Spirit themselves. And and frankly, they're lost, and some of them don't even know that they are. There are, in these words in Romans 8, a challenge to examine our own thought life and to discern whether our minds indeed are set on the things of God and of the cross, and of the loveliness of the mysteries of the gospel. Without these things besetting our hearts, we are not the people of God at all. Now then, having painted this portrait of the essential interior differences between the believer and the unbeliever, now in verses 10 to 11, Paul gives us the promises that are precious to every believer. Let's look again at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Notice the reality of the person who's in Christ. The body is dead because of sin, so let's for a moment speak about death and dying. For believers, death will always contain a degree of mystery surrounding it. We know that Christ has died for us, and it is therefore only natural to ask why we as believers should die at all. If his death is our substitute, you might think that death would no longer claim the believer, and yet it does. Now, why is that? I think there are two reasons, and the first was given to us back in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if you've been united with him in a death like his, it said. If you're a believer in Jesus and your death is approaching right now, please think of it as an identification with Christ. As you die, if you can, try to remember that Christ died for you, and in the experience of death, think that he deliberately chose death for you. Your death will be experienced as your identification with him. Second, you do not die in the sense that your spirit or your soul dies, but your body does. According to Romans 8.10, the body is dead because of sin. I assume that means that the body has already received a sentence of death against it. From the first cry of a baby, the the features of decay are already found in it. God, in his infinite wisdom, has not removed from our bodies the same sentence of death that is shared by the entire human race. That means that our bodies are not yet redeemed, and yet our bodies are freed from sin's condemnation. But how do we know that? And the answer has to do with the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of life. Notice that the Holy Spirit has been called in this passage both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ, meaning that His work is to draw attention to both the Father and the Son in our hearts. And here, He is still another name. He is the Spirit of life, indicating that one of His roles is to infuse life. He was there at the creation, giving life to the first human pair, Adam and Eve, He is the spirit who gives us new life at our conversion, and he is the one who had a role to play in raising Jesus from the dead. Add to that also that he has a major role to play in raising our dead bodies back to life. And this, says the passage, is because of righteousness, meaning that the righteousness that is at work in us is evidence of this new life that's coming. Now we come to verse 11, which so nicely summarizes all that has been said. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Please notice the place of the Trinity in that passage. The Him in the Spirit of Him is a reference to the Father who plans for the resurrection of all who believe. The one who is raised is Jesus, who is the first fruit of all who have fallen asleep, and the Spirit is the one whose power raises the dead at the command of the Father. And with that, we capture the plan that God has for all who believe. Of course, the resurrection is so much more than the resuscitation and the putting back together a body that once was. It's the transformation of our bodies from bodies subject to curse and death to the body that will no longer be subject to disease and weakness and temptation. And that's the hope of the believer. And that also is what has already happened to every believer. Yes, we may fight with temptation and at times we may cry out in despair for our flesh seems so strong to us. But like the motorcyclist going into a corner, whose eyes are on the end of the curve in the road, so our mindset is on the Spirit and the things of the Spirit. All that to describe the nature of the new birth, and that is hope. And when you think that growing in holiness is so very hard, remember that you've been given a mindset, And the mindset that is yours testifies to you that you are the child of God and that in the end of the day, you will win this battle and life is yours. Thank you, Lord.
0: John, thanks for today's message. Something I just wanted to pass by you though, when you're saying that someone's mindset is not on the glory of God, are you saying that they're not a Christian?
1: I do think that every single believer has a heart cry to know God. I mean, obviously, we want to know other things, and and all sorts of other things in life distract us, but I think it is the mark of the redeemed heart and mind that they actually repeat. uh, You know, with David in Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants after streams of water, so my soul pants after you. I think every believer has a heart cry to get to know God more and to have God as the ultimate issue in their lives. So, yes, I think that when we're born again, that's been created in our hearts, and the absence of that heart cry after God is surely an indicator that we have never come to know him. So, you know, I I don't, you know, want to put things in a black and white, easy manner in which we can discern quickly, but I think we should be able to look within and find that within every single believer.
0: Well, I hope today's message has been encouraging for you. What a wonderful promise that Spirit gives us the ability to overcome sin and temptation, knowing that the resurrection of our bodies will one day free us from bondage forever. That concludes our third week of the Power of the Gospel series in Romans, but be sure to listen next week as Dr. Neufeld continues to unpack the rest of Chapter 8 in this series. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Back to the Bible Canada isn't just a ministry, but a community of like-minded followers of Jesus who have a passion to see God's Word faithfully taught across the nation. To that end, we wanted to take a second to thank all of you who engage with this ministry through your comments, feedback, words of encouragement, and even biblical questions. It means so much when you, you take the time out of your busy days to share your thoughts, your feedback, helps us to grow, improve, and tailor our content to better serve you on your faith journey. It also helps get our programs in front of more eyes, allowing God's unfailing truths to speak into even more lives. So we encourage you to check out our YouTube and social media pages and to leave a comment or a question today. We thank you in advance. For more information or to bless the ministry with a gift, just visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.